where are all the good men dead? In the heart or in the head? Many drivers, Debbie Newberry, may have misquoted the Merchant of Venice in Gross Point Blank, but the question still remains. With as much gender shaming and gender confusion going on, what is happening to the men in our lives? And more importantly, what's happening to their faith? Sound off, Rebel Parents. We're talking about guys on today's episode of Rebel Parenting. Before we welcome our guest today, New York Times bestselling author David Murrow, I want to thank each and every one of you who has shared our program with your friends or, more importantly, left a good review on iTunes. It really does help the podcast grow, and we appreciate you. Our guest today is David Murrow. He is a marketing and media expert. He has produced hundreds and hundreds of commercials and TV specials. He's the author of two New York Times bestsellers, How Women Help Men Find God, and Why Men Hate Going to Church. He is a very interesting guy, and I think this program is going to stimulate your brain whether or not you agree. And either way, let us know what you think by tweeting us or commenting on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all the links at rebelparenting.org. And now, please enjoy my interview with author David Murrow. David, I appreciate you taking our call today and being on the phone. I know you wrote this book a little while ago, but I think it's really pertinent to talk about. So thanks for joining the broadcast today. Good to be with you, Ryan. Um, you know, you've talked, uh, written a, a couple of times about men and church. Uh, this one we're talking about, Why Men Hate Going to Church. And then you have another book, How, How Women Help Men Find God. And give a little bit of your background. Yeah, I was, I was fascinated by your marketing background, the stuff in TV, and how you started thinking about this topic of men and church and how the church has changed over history. So give us a little background of, of you and how you entered this subject. Yeah, my background is in marketing and advertising. And, you know, sitting in church one day, I suddenly realized that if my church was a TV show, it would probably be on the Oprah Winfrey Network. It's uh, definitely... Most of the ministries were targeted at middle-aged women, uh, the mm -hmm. way the pastor talked, the emphasis on love and beauty and relationships and help and nurturing, all these, uh, these uh, things that we promote as Christian values, a passionate, intimate relationship with a man who loves you. A lot of the metaphors we use in church are subtly tuned to the feminine heart. And uh, so I began to do some research. The research led to a book, Why Men Hate Going to Church, as you mentioned, and then we did a second book, How Women Help Men Find God. Mm. And both of those are designed to help people and churches become more welcoming to, to men and boys and uh, get more men involved in church by removing some of these cultural barriers that we've erected over the years. Yeah. So how do you see this playing out? You know, what, was the, what were some of the first things you started noticing in church? And does that also play out in the home? As parents, do we make faith uh, a feminine thing? Do we make it more accessible to girls in the home? Is this a, a universal or is, you know, is it just primarily the church well um yeah the it starts with the church and the way we present the gospel you know it's interesting the phrase personal relationship with jesus never appears in scripture yet today it's become the number one way we describe uh, our christian walk and i think the reason is is because relationships are definitely you know that's what women are into when they buy a book it's a book about a relationship magazines are about people magazine are all about relationships the tv shows the movies the chick flicks that women enjoy all about relationships. Men tend to be more mission-focused. And, you know, we used to describe the gospel as a dangerous mission to save souls, but today we describe it as a passionate, intimate relationship with a man who's in love with you. And so you can kind of see that one is more tuned to the masculine heart, the other to the feminine. 
The other things we, we tend to do is we tend to decorate our churches in very feminine ways. Most churches have quilts and flowers and ribbons and banners and lace doilies on the communion table, and, and then they have these uh, school-style construction paper bulletin boards. I mean, it, all the visuals when you walk into a church tend to say this is a, an educational institution and it's been decorated by the women. Yeah. And so when men come in, you know, they don't they don't come in and say, oh, yeah, this is a guy place. They tend to think this is a grandma place. Sure, sure. So, and you know, I've, I've written more than 60 pages of those things in my book, you know, just the different ways that churches tend to uh, alienate men with their the culture they create around the gospel. Yeah, and, you know, I want to get this across. There's sometimes where I give my opinion, and sometimes my opinion weighs more than another person's opinion. I know that's not a popular topic today, but— uh, if you're going to talk about the heart, if I'm going to a cardiologist and he's explaining ventricles and how the heart pumps and, and things I need to do, I don't get to say to him, well, I disagree. I'm not a doctor. I didn't go to school for this. And I'm not saying people can't disagree with you, but you have a background in marketing. You have a background in trying to, you know, you've done how many, over 500 commercials? Is that right? Or is it 800? Uh, a bunch. <laughs> yeah, it's hundreds and hundreds of commercials trying to convey feelings, trying to elicit responses from people. So you're saying this from a pretty learned, uh, knowledgeable background. When you look at something from a marketing standpoint, you're seeing who is this geared towards and what message is being presented and what's supposed to be accomplished by this. And essentially you're saying, in a way, churches have changed over the years to be aimed at women, to be speaking to women, and men feel left out. Has it always been this way? Was there a time when the church was more male-centric? Well, yes. Um, you know, the early church, certainly no shortage of men. Uh, you know, their blood is spilled on every page of the scriptures. But, you know, as, as, church, as the church institutionalized, the numbers of roles for men tended to decrease. Uh, when medieval Catholicism, uh, everything was taken over that, by the professional clergy. There really wasn't anything that was expected from men. You couldn't even, you, uh, in medieval Catholicism, you couldn't even take communion yourself. Had the, the wafer had to be placed on your tongue. There was all this modeling of passivity. Then in, when we saw mm. in the colonial days, there was you know, great religious fervor among men, but by the time the Victorian era ruled, uh, rolled around, we began to see the withdrawal of men from church once again. Men left home to work in mines, mills, and factories. And the population that was left behind in the church was women, children, and aged men. And that's really been the predominant demographics that have attended church ever since. Yeah. And so we, we after the, in the post-war, right after World War II, there was a resurgence of men in the church. And we, now we actually had a, the greatest era of church growth ever was the 1950s and 60s. But now in the 70s and 80s, men began to withdraw, and uh, we saw, and we've seen a few megachurches grow, but a lot of, most churches in America, 85% are either plateaued or declining as a result. Mm. And what has that done to the church body? What has that done to faith, or what has that done to culture, to have men essentially feel excluded or maybe to be even checked out in church service, to have very, so few churches speaking to men uh, what's been the change, maybe even in the household, as a result of this? Well, starting with the church level, we've got pretty convincing evidence that when churches are gender balanced, when there are highly involved and motivated men, churches tend to grow. The men have been the secret of the megachurch. Uh, you know, the secret isn't the big screen. It's not the cool pastor with the goatee. The reason these churches grow is because they really, really do cater to men. Uh, Bill Hybels, when he created uh, Willow Creek, focused on a mythical male parishioner by the name of 
unchurched Harry. Rick Warren, when he started Saddleback, focused on a mythical male parishioner called Saddleback Sam. Now, it's not because these church planters didn't want to reach women. It's because they realized that when you get men in the door, women flood in as well. You get the women in the deal. So uh, churches that attract men tend to grow, whereas churches that repel or demoralize their men tend to decline. And, of course, this has all sorts of effects in the family. Um, there have been many studies that have shown church involvement creates better fathers, uh, better citizens. Uh, men are much more less likely to abuse drugs, get in trouble with the law when they are involved in church. So there are many, many benefits to society, to families, and to the congregations themselves mm. when we engage men. Yeah, I, I'm listening to you. I totally agree. I'm, I, I know this is a modern culture thing because I want to ask you if, if the same is true of millennials as it has been in the past. Um, I, I want to ask this in a, in a delicate way because I want to be sensitive to you and the people listening. Um, you know, when, when you say, you know, a church is focused on women and then churches decline because of it, you're not saying that in a way that's, you know, women in faith is a bad thing. Or I, I think so often, especially in media today, in order to build up one gender, you have to tear the under, other gender down. Laura and I were talking about a commercial she hates. We've seen it on TV. Uh, it's Home Depot, and there's a, a salesperson helping a woman, and uh, it's a neat product. And her husband boyfriend figure in the background has a plunger on his head, and he's you know plunging it up and down. And it's this big joke. And in sitcoms, uh, you know, men are buffoons, and, and the women are leaders. And, and we're not saying that in this. We're saying that if it's unbalanced, then churches start to decline. That's exactly right. I mean, the body of Christ needs both men and women. Yeah. Very rare is the church with a surplus of men. Uh, most churches, about, well, the average church in North America draws an adult crowd that's 61% female. So the reason I wrote my book is not to say that women are unneeded or unnecessary. They are absolutely just as necessary as men to the health of a church. However, my focus is how do we get to gender balance because the healthiest and fastest growing churches are those with both heavy male and heavy female participation. Sure, sure, sure. So as a wife listening right now and as someone that wrote the book, How Women Help Men Find God, um, and in our homes, you know, because what you're talking about essentially is a systemic overhaul of church. Um, which, which can be very abrupt, and you're not saying it that it needs to be abrupt, and you're not saying abandon women in, in favor of men. But as parents and as spouses, how can we support men in their faith walk? How can we encourage them? Even, let, let's say your church just isn't going to do that, you know, that it's, it's too big of a mm -hmm. thing, or the pastor doesn't believe it, or <clears throat> whatever it may be. What are the things that we can do? What are the things that moms can do for their sons? What are the things that w wives can do for their husbands to help them in their faith walk, to let them feel masculine in their faith? Well, the, the thing that women need to understand about men is when we're, when we're children, we learn a game called follow the leader. And we play that game our entire lives. Men are really oriented toward our leaders. If you, if you ask a woman what she likes about her church, she'll mention the ministry, she'll mention her friends, Three or four things down the line, she might mention the pastor. If you talk about it, if you talk to a man about what he likes about church, the very first thing out of his mouth is going to be whether he likes the pastor or not. Men are leader-oriented. If we like our pastor, we like our church. And if we don't like our pastor, if we don't respect our pastor, we don't like our church. So the first thing I tell women is um, if your boys are growing up in a church with a, a pastor who, who is a healthy male role model, 
and there are active men in the church who will invest in those young boys, then you've found the right church. Mm. Um, it may, you may have to change churches to find this church. I mean, a lot of women get comfortable in churches that, where there are no men, and their, their women's group is there, and there's only a few men, and they're on the periphery. And I say to those women, you know, how important is your son's faith? Are you willing to change churches to find a church where there are healthy, growing, and enthusiastic men? You know, because boys are very perceptive. They know that it, they, they know that women are driving the train in a lot of churches. They know their mothers are the spiritual leaders in the home. And so the, the most powerful thing is when it comes to raising boys in the faith is to make sure they have healthy, strong male role models who are, who are following closely after Christ. Yeah. I agree. It's that's an interesting one too. You know, you're an author, and I'm sure you've heard this. Is I hear from all Christian publishers, men don't read books. Um, mm-hmm. I was trying yeah. to write a book called The Manual. It was for men, and the first thing mm-hmm. I heard back is, men don't read books. In fact, there's a there's a book written to men, and the cover is purple and the type font on it is uh, very cursive and flowery and I realized this is a book for wives to buy for their husband but they had to they had to make the cover look inviting to the wife so as an author as a writer you know what do we do to combat this you know having a masculine leader in the church I think that's amazing that's a good one what can we do um, are there Bible studies? Are there certain things that uh, that are, you know, like I'm looking at my 10-year-old, and he wants to hear from the Lord. He wants to be a Christian man. He wants to grow up and and do God's work. What are the things that we can do as parents to foster that in a way that allows him to grow up healthy in his masculinity and in his faith? Well, um, you, you're right. Uh, a lot of boys and men read slower than women. And what we have always tended to do in, in – uh, youth Bible studies or in children's ministries, we pass the Bibles around and then we have them read aloud and usually the girls read better than the boys. Mm. Actually the verbal centers in a girl's brain tend to mature 18 months earlier than those in a boy's brain. And so, you know, boys are competitive and when they hear the girl ripping through 1 Corinthians 5.17 and then they have to plod slowly through Matthew 6.33, you know, they notice that. They notice that girls are better at church than boys are. Girls can sit still better than boys can. Um, one of the wow. very positive developments in a lot of churches today is that children's ministry is becoming a more kinesthetic, body movement, singing, running around type experience, whereas, you know, a generation ago it was, it was strictly a classroom experience. So I think that's really helping a new generation of boys connect with the gospel better because they don't have to sit in rows. They don't have to sit quietly. They don't have to read from books. And they're able to absorb the lesson visually. They, we use a lot more video with children's ministry now. So I think as far as children's ministry go, actually very positive. Uh, we're moving in a positive direction for boys. Sure, sure. One of our uh, listeners wrote in and asked, what do you think about the segregation of churches by gender and age um, where we're, we're you know, putting you know, little girls in one room, little boys in one room, we're putting you know, older adults in a room and then newly marrieds in a room, you know, all of that. What do you feel? Is that changing the church or is it okay to separate the church that way? Well, um, I'm all about single gender teaching. Um, when you put the boys all together, you remove that uh, rivalry between the sexes. Uh, so, you know, they're all equally challenged when it comes to reading except for a few. 
Um, so, and, and I look at the example of the New Testament. You remember when Jesus started his ministry, he went out and found six men, six women, and he started a children's ministry. You remember that? No, he went out and found 12 guys. So, I'm sitting there um, thinking, I was like, wait, what? Uh, yeah, that's in uh, First Hezekiah 7, 12. Yeah, look yeah, it up. yeah, sorry. But, but uh, no, uh, the, so what, what's really interesting is we see that Jesus started with a very homogenous group of men, and then diversity and increase came later. Mm. So I think when we start our children's faith walk, I don't think there's any problem putting the boys with boys, the girls with girls. Put the boys with male teachers for male role models, and you put the girls with female teachers with, for female role models. And then as they get older, you can mix the genders up a little more. And then e but, but then even when they become adults, uh, we're seeing a lot of churches moving away from men's ministry and women's ministry toward, uh, toward mixed-gender neighborhood groups, small groups based on zip codes. And um, this, this is good on one level, but on another level, it's not giving men the opportunity to get together and talk about uniquely male issues that mm. they face. Mm. You know, I don't care how close your small group is. The, a guy is not going to sit in a mixed gender group and say, hey, I'm struggling with pornography. Yeah. Never going to happen yeah. if there's a woman in the room. Never going to happen. So we have to be very cognizant in the church as we move away from single gender ministry. We still have to give men space where they can be men and can talk about the issues that are uniquely male, the issues they face as men, in a non-embarrassing and non-threatening form. Yeah. That's important. Are you finding pastors receptive to this? You know, I, I think about a pastor and I think all the weights on his shoulders. You know, most pastors yes. are fundraisers, they're HR people, they've got mm -hmm. to hire, fire, they're counselors, they're counseling marriages, they're preaching on okay. Sunday, you know, all those things. And then someone comes to them and goes, hey, and you're not saying this. I, I just know that from being a writer myself, sometimes people take my work and then go and reinterpret it to pastors. But essentially yeah. they're hearing you know, hey, you're doing everything wrong. We've got to change this. Uh, yeah. When it's yeah. said in the right way, what kind of responses are pastors seeing? What kind of success stories are you seeing from this? You know, if you could have included something else in the book that would say, hey, this is really going to help you get further along. You know, what kind of things there? Well, yeah, I mean, you're right. Pastor, being a pastor is one of the most difficult jobs on the planet. I mean, it's like being a pastor is like trying to play cards in a hurricane. You have so many things going on. <laughs> And, uh, but, but what I tell pastors is the changes that are needed to bring men in are mainly uh, in the culture, in the way we present the gospel, in the way we decorate the church, in the way we program. Uh, these are not difficult things, and most of them are not even objectionable to the women. That's the interesting thing. When you begin to target men a little bit more, the women actually get very excited because, you know, we live in a post-feminist world now. And all the almost all the women in the church are rejecting the kind of the old-fashioned lace and doily tea and crumpets type Christianity, and women too are wanting a more adventurous, raw gospel. Mm. They're wanting more mission focused. They're 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 rallying around purpose instead of merely relationship. Yeah. So as you focus on men, I think you're going to bring a level of health and enthusiasm to your entire church. So that's what I tell the pastors. These changes are relatively small. They can be implemented relatively easily without upsetting the, the culture of your church. And I don't think many women are going to object because, you know, women growing up in this post-feminist uh, world and no longer consigned to strictly feminine roles, they're actually very excited about these changes that attract men because they attract them too. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. You know, you've, you've got the book broken up into three parts, and the third part is calling men back to church. So as mm -hmm. people listening, you know, the millennials have great great churches going on out there and they are open to hearing new things and trying new things it's so great 
working with the millennial generation, I'm so drawn to it because, you know, the men are open, more open to sharing feelings today than they ever have been before. And women are open to the more adventurous roles than they ever have been before. And you've got this, the pendulum swinging back and forth as communities and groups. How do we call the men back to church? You know, one of the things you say is men need to feel valued. How do we make them feel valued in church? When you're talking to pastors, what are some of these easily accomplishable goals that can, that can call men back to church? Well, you got to give them a role. Um, men, you know, uh, John Eldridge put it very well, is men have to fulfill a sacred role that only they can fulfill. Mm. And the problem in a lot of churches is, you know, that they used to restrict the clergy to just men. The elder board had to be men, and so men had to step up and fulfill those roles. Many churches are gender neutralizing those roles now. Anyone can step up. And, you know, I can understand the reasons for that. However, because anyone can step up now, what's happening is that the women are stepping up and the men are stepping back. So every man who comes to church has to feel like he has a sacred role that only he can fulfill. And quite frankly, a lot of men look at church and say, my wife is better at this than I am. Yeah. She understands yeah. this better than I do. So I think I'm most men feel that way. I'm going to let her do that, yeah. you know? That's, the example I give is when my children were young, uh, my wife kind of took care of the whole educational portfolio. She kept up with their shots, uh, you know, inoculations. They needed doctor visits. But this isn't because I didn't care about my children. I loved them very much. But I, she, she was so competent and so good at taking care of those things, I didn't worry about them. Yeah. I just let her take care of that part. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of men have put the religious portfolio under the control of their wives because their wives are so good at it. So, you know, how do churches call men up? They have to let, know, let men know that they play a sacred role that only they can fulfill, and that if they do not fulfill that role, all is lost. The culture goes backwards. And um, I think the churches that have been more effective at engaging their men have done exactly that. They've engaged them not just in busy activity, but in a, in a sacred role, an important role of propelling the church forward in its mission to redeem a, a broken and dying world. Yeah. Oh, David, I think it's important. I really do. I think it's important. It's, um, I do appreciate this. I love both genders. I want both genders in church. You know, Laura has such an important role with my kids. Without her in our lives, it would be so drastically different. And I, you know, we need women in church and we need men in church. Uh, you know, you saying this when, when it's not when we allowed women to be on the church board, but when culture started changing and that was going on uh, the other night I, I liken it to this there was a there's a, a seventh grader in, in our neighborhood and she had a play at school and we were all gonna go and I got home late I was working on the studio and I'm exhausted and Laura goes oh do you want me to take the kids and you can stay home and the first thing I thought was oh yeah definitely I definitely want to stay home uh, I'm tired I've been working all day I got home late I don't want to go to this play right now um, and yet, I knew it was important for my kids to see me there. And mm-hmm. it, it was important for me to be there because only I can fulfill the role of dad showing what's important by my actions. And it's not that I'm bad at it and Laura's better at me than that, but it's very easy to say, yeah, I'm really busy. You know, when, when people are you know saying, you know, we got to have some people on the church board, I think very easily a man can go, listen, I work all day. I've got all this stuff going on. I'm just going to let my wife do it. She's good at this stuff. Uh, you know, she's better at it than me. 
that's a natural, normal thing to feel. I think we are calling men to step up and say, yep, you're busy. I know you are, but it's important for your sons. It's important for the other men in the church. It's important that we all join in this thing together. Exactly right. And, you know, and when I, when I was talking about, you know, men holding the, the formal leadership positions in the church, the, the counterpoint to that is that women have always held the informal ones. I mean, the men have had the church board. But the women have controlled the Sunday school, they've controlled the outreach, they've controlled the benevolences. And so you had this male and female counterbalance. And the men on the board knew how far they would, could go before their volunteers would revolt. <laughs> and sure. the women in the, in the pews and in the trenches knew how far they could go before the men would pull back on them. Yeah. And so you had this very healthy point and counterpoint. When the men ceded the uh, formal leadership roles to women on many church boards, there was no countervailing male presence left. Mm. It was all women all the time. Yeah. And so what we see in these churches, particularly in these liberal mainline churches, is they tend to abandon doctrine. Well, what, 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 the way I put it is this way. A woman will sacrifice rules on the altar of relationships, whereas a man will sacrifice relationships on the altar of rules. Mm. So mm. men tend toward legalism. Women tend toward liberalism. But when you've got a presence, healthy presence of both, they keep each other in check. But when the men withdraw from the church, the churches almost universally go liberal. Sure. Because you have yeah. to, you have to, you have to sacrifice the rules, the doctrine, the Bible, in order to keep all the relationships happy. And that's what we're seeing with the implosion of the mainline right now. It's not that these are a bunch of heretics. It's the fact that there are no men left to say, "Hey, thus saith the Lord." And you know, you don't want a church that's all male because that's what Jesus encountered when he came to the came to earth it was a jewish culture that was completely male dominated right women right. were completely ignored sure. and it was terribly unhealthy as well well they were seen as property absolutely you know I'm, I'm not i hear what you're saying about it going liberal i i'm not sure i can give a blanket statement where if all women are in charge it's going to definitely go liberal and, and anti-biblical what i what i would say though is when I was working with my dad at Family Talk, he talked about the need for male producers on the broadcast and female producers because he had gone through a period mm -hmm. where it was all female producers and they were choosing mainly female topics, which is totally normal. You would definitely expect them to do that. That's what's expected. Of course. If yep. it's a man-centric book, it wouldn't normally or naturally appeal to the women producers and they would pass it on more regularly and that's what they should do that's that's a normal thing to do but he was also saying we need men producers because we've got men listening as well and you can't forget them because if it's all women producing and all women topics well then men will tend to not want to listen more and you've got to make us it, and it's intentional that's one of the things you're saying too is being intentional with all of this precisely i mean and you know you you've grown up in the radio business you know 67 percent of christian radio listeners are female yeah. So the tendency, the, the temptation is you say, okay, well, we want people to listen. We want to sell products at the end. We yep. need to raise money for our ministry. What are we going to do? We're going to program to our largest constituency. Sure. And that's one of the reasons the church is continually feminized, because when, when uh, Christian ministries or Christian publishers think about what products they're going to produce, are they going to produce something for men? No, men don't read. Men don't right. buy books. Yep. Men are only 33% of the market. Why would, I, why would I target my product to this tiny demographic? I'm going to go for the whale. I'm going to go for the big market, which is female. Mm -hmm. And so they produce products that are targeted toward women. Both men and women ingest these products. And pretty soon everybody in the church is looking, to, looking at church through a feminine lens because yeah. they've, they've read all these books and sung all these songs 
and gone through all these shows that are targeted at women. Yeah, and it's a natural thing to do. It's a natural way to lean if it's all leaning towards that. I, the, to the publishers, and I've said to, and I, and I still say it to, you know, when you say men don't read books, well, say that to Tim Ferriss, say it to Seth Godin, say it to Zig Ziglar, say it to Tony Robbins. I mean, if you do it right, you can do it well. It's just we're taking the path of least resistance, and I think that's what you're saying. We've got to combat the path of least resistance. Well, it's just, it's just commerce. I mean, men do read, some men do read books, but, but your opponents in this argument are exactly right. You're definitely targeting a smaller demographic. Uh, men read fewer books than women. It's well established. And so if I'm, in, if I'm working in the Christian industrial complex, as I call it, Am I going to green light a product that targets men? I'm going to give it much more scrutiny than I would a product that targets mm. women because the market is so much bigger. It's so much easier to have a hit yep. when, it, when you're targeting a bigger market. It's, it's, you know, it's just, unfortunately, the lust for profit is driving a lot of the feminization in the church. It is. David, I love the books. I appreciate you doing the work and you sticking to it. It's got to be hard. I know you take some heat for this because people will say you're being misogynistic or you're being anti-woman, and it's not what you're saying. And so I appreciate you continuing to take a stand and to really help the church uh, meet all of its parishioners, not just half of them. Well, thank you, Ryan, and I appreciate the work you're doing, and uh, thank you for having me on the show. Well, I'd love to do it again, definitely. Next time we'll have Laura on for sure. She's been feeding me questions because the mic wasn't working right now, but we'll do it next time. <laughs> Hi, <Thank> Laura. <laughs> thank you all for listening. For more information on David Morrow and Rebel Parenting, head to rebelparenting.org. God bless, and join us again next week for another episode of Rebel Parenting.